Please remain standing as we pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, now and fill this people with your presence. Give us a thirst for the gospel. Give us a desire for your truth. Lord, left to ourselves, these are not things we pursue. We need you to give us the desire. I pray for me as the preacher of the word this morning that you would use me, a flawed and weak vessel, but you would be glorified, Lord, that you alone would receive praise and glory. Do not let me speak anything that is contrary to Scripture, contrary to the true teaching of the apostles, but may every word that comes out of my mouth be glorifying to Christ and consistent with the good news. And, Lord, we will give you praise and honor and glory as you bring transformation among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going hunting this morning, y'all. We're going hunting. We're going to hunt us up some bald-faced platitudes, and we're going to put them down. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, you know, bad theology isn't inconsequential. It has deadly consequences in this life and also for eternity. And some of that deadly bad theology is cherished by many of us as Christian people. We don't realize we're cherishing it, these platitudes that actually aren't biblical. In fact, some of it even gets preached in nominally Christian churches. Near the apex of that, that the, the pinnacle of popular bad theology found in the mouths of people is this line. I literally heard it just this week. I was watching a, a show on Netflix, and I heard this, and everybody nods their head sagely when it gets said, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. Now, that's usually a glib response made by someone who is trying to comfort a person in deep distress. You just got your cancer diagnosis? Bless your heart. God will never give you nothing more you can handle. Prenatal testing reveals that your child is profoundly uh, suffering from a genetic disability. Oh, that's all right. God won't ever give you anything more than you can handle. This is bad theology. This is a platitude. And this kind of bad theology, this kind of cartoonish depiction of God that is so blatantly, it is so blatantly flawed that it drives people away from the true God revealed in Jesus Christ. And there are two main reasons that this is such bad theology. Number one, it is completely unbiblical. There is no biblical warrant for God will never give you more than you can handle. And the second thing is that it is completely contrary to the very essence of the gospel. This is contrary to the essence of the good news. And that's why the reading we have today from Luke's gospel is so important because the narrative that we heard about the widow of Nain prefigures the good news that we fully accomplished on a cross and in an empty tomb. And it comes about precisely, listen, this story, this Narrative happens precisely because the widow of Nain has encountered something that is more than she can handle. This is more than she can handle. Now, to grasp the glory of the gospel in this text, and I really want to bore down to gospel, to good news, what the Scripture tells us is the genuine evangel this morning. And in order to grasp the glory of the gospel in this text, we need to have impressed on us the gravity of the situation here in Luke 7. Let me remind us, as Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, 
and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Luke has told us a lot about this situation, that if we had the ears of the first century hearers that first heard this text read, we would really be able to understand how grave the situation is. Just on the surface level alone, this is a woman whose life has been defined by the death of those who are closest to her. She is a widow, and now she has lost her son. And Luke is careful to point out that it was her only son. So you have death itself, the king of terrors, the loss of relationship and separation from an only beloved son. And that alone is tragedy enough. That alone is more to bear. But there is a whole nother level here, uh, an entirely deeper level of distress. The death of her only son was an economic disaster, an economic disaster for this woman. Women who were widowed and childless in the first century, in first century Palestine, did not go down to the local community college in the city of Nain and get an IT degree and start a new career. They had no social safety net. And with no children and no husband, the very best she could hope for was to receive alms and to glean in someone else's fields and finally to die alone with no guarantee of anyone to care for her in her old age. For this widow of Nain, the worst possible thing had happened to her. She had no ability. This is very important. She had no ability to help herself. She had no resources of her own, and her life had been ravaged by death. And I want us to see the hopelessness of this woman's situation because we can't comprehend just how good the good news is until we recognize how bad the bad news is. For this woman, the news was absolutely as bad as it could get. And so, you know, bumper sticker theology and Facebook platitudes, anything that you can stick up on a picture on Facebook and communicate some kind of deep, life-changing truth probably isn't. <laughs> These do not have the power to deal with what this woman experienced. In fact, beloved, let me tell you something. This kind of bumper sticker platitude is the road to atheism because it utterly fails the test of real life. And you know what I'm talking about. Platitudes that have no warrant of Scripture that fall so easily from the lips of the biblically illiterate. Do not tell the parent who is watching their child being crucified under ISIS, don't worry, God will never give you more than you can handle. In fact, I, I want to, to really, I told you we were going hunting for platitudes. And, and so I'm choosing my words very carefully here. They're meant to be a very uh, sharp, um, uh, pierced to the heart. But if anyone has ever told you, don't worry, God will never give you more than you can handle, they have told you a damned lie. And if I've ever said that to anyone, I've told them a damned lie. Because that platitude is nowhere in Scripture. At best, it is a misrepresentation of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There is no temptation overtaking you that which is not common to man. But God is faithful and he will with the temptation provide a means of escape so that you may bear up under it. 
<coughs> well, as we can hear from the very context of that verse, that's not about hardship. That's not about horrible things happening to us. That's about temptation to sin. And that's the closest thing in the Bible. And it doesn't even say there that God won't give you more than he can bear. Than you can bear. It says that God will provide an escape route. It doesn't say you'll be able to take it on your own. You see, God won't give you any more than you can handle means this. It means that if I try really hard in my own effort, <clears throat> if I try really, really hard, if I really hunker down, I mean, if I apply myself, if I'm not slack and if I'm not lazy and if I work really, really hard, I'll be able to kick this thing. Certainly not working when it's cold. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry, y'all. This is just water. It needs to be something else. Burn through that mess. Actually, that teaching that if you just try really hard, you can live the Christian life. If you just try really hard, you can make it work out. That is called the heresy of Pelagianism. Jesus, if that was true, if this heresy was true, Jesus probably should have been told that before he went and got himself crucified because he was operating under the belief that our just trying really hard was not going to help us. He was under the impression that the human race could not bootstrap itself even if those bootstraps were made of the finest Pelagian leather. He was operating under the belief that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because the world couldn't do it on its own. He was operating under the belief that he had to be despised and rejected by men, <clears throat> a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, that he had to be despised and not esteemed by us, that he had to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, that he had to be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. That, he, that the chastisement that would bring us peace had to be upon him, and with his wounds we would be healed. He thought that all we like sheep had gone astray, and that we had turned every one of us to his own, his own way, and he thought that the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is what Jesus thought. You see, platitudes have no power to save. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified has the power to save. Our sin is more than we can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. Our sin is more than we can handle. Our addiction is more than we can handle. Our shame and guilt are more than we can handle. The death of a child is more than we can handle. Our own death is supremely more than we can handle in this life. Don't tell a corpse a self-help platitude. Young man on that beer... You just need to try harder not to be dead. And most of all, God's wrath, his just wrath against our sinful, self-directed rebellion is more than we can handle in this life and in eternity. And that being, this, and that being the case, the woman, the widow of Nain, is a type of our human condition. Like her, we have no resources of our own to save ourselves. Like her, we are utterly powerless to help ourselves or to change our condition. Like her, we have been devastated by the power of death. The gospel is about, the gospel is about God sovereignly intervening 
and an act of radical self-sacrifice precisely because our situation is more than we can handle. <coughs> we can't handle the power of sin that ravages our lives. We can't handle the wrath of God directed against that sin. And we cannot handle the terror of death. And when this woman was wailing in her misery, overcome by grief and by her hopeless condition, something happened. This is so important. This is gospel. Something happened that she did not plan. She did not ask for. She did not anticipate. And she did not deserve. The scripture says in Luke 7, 13 and 14, And when the Lord saw her, the Lord saw her. He saw her in her weeping, in her loss, in her misery, in her helplessness, in her hopelessness. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief in his infinite compassion, sovereignly intrudes, uninvited into this woman's brokenness and brings life. Jesus claimed as his own that which death had seized as its prey. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that saves us. In Jesus Christ, God interrupts your funeral. In Jesus Christ, God interrupts your funeral. The infinite God offers himself as the infinite sacrifice in order to arrest our inevitable journey to death unending. Lo, the good shepherd, for the sheep is offered. The slave hath sinned, and the son hath suffered. For our atonement, while we nothing heeded, God interceded. That's the gospel. The only thing that gives me hope in this life is the cross of Jesus Christ. The only thing that gives me hope, the only thing that anchors any hope for the future, is what God has accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. The only thing that makes sense of the broken state of the world is the cross of Jesus Christ in a world where people mourn a gorilla, a gorilla and 700 refugees die on the ocean unheeded. My only hope is the cross. In a world that is bent on slouching towards Gomorrah, the cross is the only thing that helps. Only the gospel of the cross where an innocent man fully embraces all of the evil, all of the hell unleashed by human sin, and he suffers betrayal, abandonment, injustice, torture, death, and then was raised to life in victory and vindication on the third day, all that makes this world bearable. The gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified alone takes the reality of evil and death seriously. And confronted with the harsh realities of life, our only recourse is to cling more tightly to the cross. 
Because in the gospel, God does not put a band-aid on our wounded world. God doesn't just try to fix things like so many of us want. In the gospel, God doesn't patch. He doesn't tape it up. He recreates the universe. He makes all things new. doesn't promise to get out the cosmic superglue and make it all better. No, he promises a new heavens and a new earth. And that new heavens and that new earth, that kingdom began to break in on the village of Nain the day that Jesus Christ commanded life in the face of death's cold boast. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. That's going to happen to every one of us who know Christ and are found in him, born again, baptized believers on the day of resurrection. You think about it, who God is going to give back to you. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ and trust in him alone for our salvation, when we receive him, as the scripture says, to as many as received him, he gave the power to become children of God, children not born of flesh and blood, but born of the spirit. When we receive him, we accept him by faith, repent of our sins. When we are plunged beneath the waters of baptism, he claims as his own what sin and death and hell has seized as their prey. And now, saved by faith in Jesus Christ, united to him in baptism, born again by the Spirit, our motto is not the insipid platitude, God won't give me more than I can handle. Instead, we bear the gospel of the cross. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. Not that he won't give me more than I can handle, is that he will never let go of me. The gospel only happens because your life at the very deepest level is the fact that you can't handle it. And me too. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. When the great Scottish Reformation preacher Robert Bruce was some 75 years of age, his wife had been dead for several years, and he was also ready to go home to be with the Lord. I wonder why I am kept here so long, he would say to his friends. On July 27th, 1631, while he was having breakfast, his daughter, Martha, was about to prepare him another egg. When he said, hold, daughter, hold, my master calleth me. He then asked that the Bible be brought And uh, unable himself to read it because of his failing vision, he said, Cast me up the eighth of Romans. And I actually said, Cast me up the eighth of Romans. (laughs) And he began to recite much of the second half of the chapter until he came to the last two verses. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Set my finger 
on these words, he asked. God be with you, my children. I have breakfasted with you and shall sup with my Lord Jesus this night. I die believing these words. That's the gospel. No, you can't handle it yourself. There's so many things that come into our lives that we can't handle. But we have the cross, and we have a Savior. And without him, you really can't do it. But with him, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.